Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy S.S. Wilson is a writer and director who has worked on such cult classics as Tremors, Short Circuit, Batteries Not Included, Wild Wild West, and others. He has also directed some of the Tremor sequels and is the author of several books. Mr. Wilson was kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned from Movies. I'm sorry, my name's Steve and I'm here with my wife, Izzy. Hello. Hello. As I uh, mentioned in the emails to contact you, uh, we're huge fans and uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to talk with us and uh, talk about some of our favorite movies. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to know that the old movies still have fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I grew up on the Tremors movies. They were always one of my favorites. Even though most of my friends weren't allowed to watch them because they were supposedly too scary. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. And I had a VHS of Short Circuit that I've seen uh, over a thousand times, I'm sure, as a kid. You did say that. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. There was a a fan in Australia who was way out in the act out back and we got this sad email from him probably was a letter actually many years ago he had worn out the copy of Tremors in his local video store and, <laughs> and could not convince them to get another one <laughs> oh nice so sad of course, we couldn't send him one because we didn't have at that time we weren't able to just generate a PAL one and send it so. Yes, I think they've been out of production since, like, 96 or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Excellent. Well, again, th- thank you for joining us um, yeah. on Everything I Learned from Movies. That's the uh, name of our podcast. Right. And I guess, uh, first off, would you mind just letting us know, like, uh, where you grew up and kind of what your family life was like? Well, let's see. Uh, had a fairly complicated childhood in the sense that uh, when I was 12, my dad started moving every three years just because he wanted to, and he was able to. He was a psychologist uh, at the beginning of the boom in that profession, where it it became okay to go to, to a therapist right about the time he got his degree, so he could go anywhere and do anything, and did, so we moved from where I was born in Oklahoma to Hawaii. Oh, nice. Got bored with Hawaii, and we moved to Maine. Oh, wow. uh, (laughs) Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kansas, Colorado. Eventually, my running joke is my life stabilized when I got drafted. Uh, uh, um, Yeah, we lived all over, and uh, my brother and I were were, were our closest friends for most of our childhood because we were always in a new school somewhere. It was certainly different. Nice. Is your uh, older brother, younger brother? Younger brother. Nice. Uh, how, how much younger? 
he's five years younger. He's a a high tech guy in Silicon Valley. Oh, nice. That's actually we're actually in San Francisco. So. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, he's just south of me down in San Jose, and he's uh, he's been at Apple and a bunch of other very esoteric places doing esoteric things that I never quite understand. <laughs> Although I do understand the current one. He's one of the people who designs those things where you lay your phone on a table and it charges it without plugging it in. Oh, yeah. That's that, that's so sci-fi to me. <laughs> yes, he's, he's into wireless charging. He built one for Ikea, but now he's working for somebody else. And he was just demonstrating it in South Korea. I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so did you have, like, a favorite subject or anything growing up? Like, were you big into theater or science or... Oh, well, well me, I, uh, it was, uh, I, I was actually into science. I, my math could not keep up with my interest in science. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I graduated high school with the highest average in science at the school. And then I got to Penn State, and they said, well, you can't take science unless you take remedial math. So, because <laughs> uh, my math just was never any good. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I love science, and I still do. I still read science magazines and reports and things, and uh, and I always had an interest in, in that stuff. And then I loved filmmaking, uh, and, and my dad uh, pushed me into filmmaking when I got to Penn State. Yeah. I had I had signed up for psychology classes because I didn't know you know what to do. <laughs> I just thought, well, now I have to get a job. And he said, you've been making movies since you were 12, which I had. I'd been making stop-motion animation movies in the backyard since we got to Hawaii. And uh, I, I keep saying someday I'm going to put those online, because I, I imagine people would get a kick out of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do it. <laughs> there, was there a particular character that you had as a kid making the stop-motion, or was it just kind of oh, whatever I was uh, uh, This will test your film knowledge a little bit. I was a big fan of Ray Harryhausen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the okay. King Kong and all yeah. the you know, Clash of the Titans, and yeah, absolutely. Okay, very good, very good. <laughs> uh, not a test question. Um, and uh, I was his monsters, you know, just stood out. His fantasy creatures stood out as being radically different, you know, from a lizard with horns glued on it. And uh, and I was going, God, how did you do that? And my uncle tipped me. My uncle who actually ran a theater in Oklahoma tipped me off on how Ray was doing that stuff and I, so then I ran out discovered that our home movie camera had a single shutter release and never looked back so I started making stop motion dinosaurs and other clay creatures um, had a whole cattle, a, a room full of World War II tank models so we did a lot of tank models blowing each other up and, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, and so you know, literally when I got to Penn State my dad came up and he said what have you signed up for? And I said, well, pre-psych. And he said, that's crazy. And he went to my advisor, the absolute truth, he went to my advisor and said, my son is crazy, and sign him up for anything that has to do with movies and filmmaking. So they <laughs> he jettisoned my schedule, and <laughs> I started over. And then I thought, oh my God, I could actually do this for a living. And then I never looked back. I just, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Because <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it. You know, I had a job at the local PBS station, working for free making movies and uh, it even helped me out in the army because I got drafted this was this was at the very end of the Vietnam War because I'm that old and, uh, <laughs> and uh, fortunately the army chose not to send me to Vietnam and instead put me to work at a TV station where I ended up making some animated cartoons <laughs> among other things 
Nice. Excellent. Yeah, I saw some of your uh, first things was uh, it, the TV series Mask, and I was like, I love that growing up. <laughs> oh, you know, that's so funny. Uh, it's amazing that it, it actually now can be seen again. Because uh, uh, you know, at the time when we did it, there was, gosh, 20, 30 of us writing it. And, uh, you know, it just they made them as fast as they could and put them out as fast as they could. And we all just figured it would be forgotten. It's so funny how this, in the modern times things get resurrected. Yeah, um, I blame the catchy uh, opening theme musics and stuff from back in the day. That's a, <laughs> it's a great way to hook uh, young minds. <laughs> so how many years were you like working on Mask? Like, do you recall, like, uh, I, I don't know, was there like a creative process involved with writing for them? Or I'm not sure exactly how, how involved you, are, you were with like the creation and stuff of the show or if it was just... Uh, a writing gig? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it was just a, it was a writing gig. I knew the story editor, which is the which is the person who assigns the scripts and, and assigns stories. He was literally hiring everybody he knew who could type because uh, uh, they had a 64 episode buy. This was oh, wow. this was uh, something that never happens. And whichever toy company it was was it Mattel I guess it was Mattel yeah I think, yeah Mattel decided, going against Hasbro yeah <laughs> yeah their their thing was we we're going to create we're going to be Disney we're going to create our own thing and sell our toys through it so they did a 64 episode buy and my friend Terry got the job of the story editor and so he was just oh my god I need all these stories and so I would go in and pitch story you know and it was it was curious too because we were they were designing the toys as we went even as the show the first season of shows went to air they were still designing the toys and they wouldn't let us write a toy that wasn't finished yet so, oh, so some of the women characters for example didn't have any vehicles yet so they had to ride around with the men characters and other vehicles <laughs> I'm going, this, is, this is a completely fantasy made up animated show and they said yeah but every car in it is going to be have a a car that exists in reality before you're allowed to mention it. <laughs> Every child in America can have a piece of it this Christmas, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what they hoped. Yeah. Just in general, um, uh, as a writer, do you have like a a certain process? Like, uh, do do you start with like I don't know a few key scenes in mind, or like a premise for an entire story arc, or it just kind of randomly? I, I, I'm not sure if they have like a particular process. Yeah, uh, my partner and I have a very specific process. Oh, I, I should mention, by the way, that I sold Short Circuit while I was writing Mask and Ooh, left excellent. the show, much to Terry's dismay, because he, he liked what I was coming up with, and he still had, you know, 40 episodes to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, Brent and I have worked forever, together forever since USC, where we went to graduate school. And our process is not unique but we are more outline oriented we never start writing unless we know where we're going and we usually have a complete idea beginning middle and end worked out and oftentimes back in the day you were given when we first started working and selling screenplays to Hollywood uh, you were given 12 weeks on average to write a, a draft and we would sometimes outline for eight of those weeks and freak people out you know because they would call us and say are you writing it well no we're still thinking and then we would write furiously in the last four weeks because we knew exactly what we were doing at that point you know the script is 110 120 pages long so yeah 
once you knew exactly where you were going, we would write a draft and polish that. We never were fans of the process of, well, let's see, you know, kind of where this goes, see if something happens. So, yeah, we're, we are outline crazy. And we still do that. Even that, you know, back in the day, it was you know three by five cards, and literally stuck to a bulletin board. And then as computers came along, we started getting outline programs and putting it in the computer, doing it that way, and then reading it periodically. And we really try to solve every problem before we get into it. You don't. You can't believe what you have left unfigured out when you actually go to write it. But the big things are solved. Excellent. Avoid the big loopholes. Yeah, the big loopholes. Excellent. Well, you mentioned uh, your uh, co-writing partner, Brent Maddock. When you guys were writing uh, Short Circuit, how did did that story, like the origin of that story, come about? Uh, We were, at that time, working in in a market that, in some senses, no longer exists. We were making films for schools and libraries. This is back in the day when the teacher would roll a projector into the classroom and project a movie on the wall. And uh, there was a bustling community in Los Angeles making these films, several different companies, a couple, three of which we worked for at different times. And uh, we did that for a number of years before we ever sold a screenplay to Hollywood. That's what we did when we got a best seat. A friend of ours was making them, and, and we started working with him and then writing producing, directing them on our own. These were low-budget things made for ten dollars and $20,000 shot in three or four days. Esoteric subjects like how to look up a word in the dictionary. <laughs> uh, and that was one of our hit films, the dictionary, actually. Sold a lot of copies of that because I did stop-motion animation for them, too, which was unusual in the market. You know, Nobody did animation in these movies because it was too expensive. But stop-motion, I could do in my garage you know, and come up with things and even do simple effects, you know, backwind the film and double expose it to get a kid in with the dictionary that was moving around, stuff like that. And uh, we were doing pretty well at that. And let's see now. So periodically then Brent and I would write a feature script in hopes of selling it. And we wrote, gosh, three or four. I know I've often said seven. I don't think it wasn't seven that we wrote, but at one time or another, we had me and Brent or me and other people had written about seven spec screenplays, none of which ever went anywhere. But one of those was Short Circuit. And the reason we wrote that was one of our educational films featured a stop-motion robot, and it was a huge hit. It was a big hit. And uh, directed by Ron Underwood, who eventually directed Tremors. And uh, and I made a ball-jointed robot for it. Set designer helped me dress it up so that it looked better than my robot did. And we did animation and split screen and fancy stuff. And it was even set in the future. It was very ambitious for an educational film. Because again, I mean, <laughs> the subject matter was uh, how to write a school report and how to outline it and so forth. But we set it in the future with this young girl with her robot, trying to get a robot, her home robot that runs everything in the house to help her write a report and of course she tricks her into writing it herself <laughs> and uh, what was my point oh so we were taken aback that film sold really really well and uh, the company that we made it for was very happy and we said gee robots are cool we should write a robot screenplay so then we stepped back and we looked at what was out there and it struck us <laughs> that 
the interesting thing about robots in movies, and this is going all the way back even to, you know, uh, uh, Forbidden Plan, Robbie the Robot, they are always sort of looked at as being alive and having feelings. R2D2 was like that, C3PO was like that, and we thought, well, that's interesting. If a robot was really alive, nobody would remotely believe it. And that's how we backed into the story for Short Circuit. We thought, well, what if a robot was alive and told people he was alive, and absolutely nobody believed it? <laughs> um, Makes sense. So, that, so going back to this outlining thing, you know, so we said, okay, that's the core idea, and then we worked outward from that, forward and backward from that. And generated the story. That's that's what caused us to come up with the company that is bent on destroying him because we needed a villain. Of course, like the villain in Short Circuit because they're really doing the responsible thing. They really are. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Nova's you know all about safety and you know tax holder or stakeholders and stuff. They are they are being proactive. That robot is loose and they're not lying about it or covering it up. Actively trying to destroy the doggone thing. He does have a laser. A, a, a robot with <laughs> yes, a laser. <laughs> yes, he does. So anyway, uh, that's how that happened. And then I, I was writing Mask at the same time, and uh, we were working here and there on educational films. And Brent was taking a screenwriting workshop at UCLA, and. Uh, he said, I can't write two scripts at the same time. Can I just use our script, Short Circuit, in the workshop as my project? I said, sure, I don't care. You know, you know, at this point, we didn't care who read anything. We didn't care. We, we kind of hoped somebody would steal something at some point, just so that <laughs> we could say that somebody liked it. And uh, uh, it was one of those you know, classic Hollywood things. And here we've been knocking around Hollywood for almost 10 years at this point, making educationals and all of that. And uh, people in the class was the son of David Foster, who eventually bought the script. I'm sorry, the friend of the son of David Foster. The friend of the son <laughs> knew that Foster was looking for any script with a robot in it. So he gave it to the son, Gary Foster, and uh, who eventually became producer in his own right. And the son gave it to David, and I was literally walking around the supermarket. My wife at the time was able to get the staff to find me before <laughs> cell phones you realize yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the box boys came running up to me and it said your wife is on the phone and says you have to go to MGM <laughs> <laughs> yes ma'am <laughs> and, uh, David wanted to meet us right away and boy then it just took off like wildfire it, nothing in our career was ever made as fast again as short circuit <laughs> excellent yeah say so it was directed by uh john badham who you know did like uh, yeah did like uh, saturday night fever and like war games and other stuff what was it like working with him well it was john it's, it's funny in retro at the time we were upset john john uh immediately hired another writer to write gags for the movie and a lot of the goofy stuff in the movie is from this <laughs> other writer and uh, we were horrified at the time, but we were also very busy because the, the sale was very high profile, front cover, front page of varieties kind of stuff. And we were forever, were forever, and still are known as the two kids from UCLA, even though, of course, we went to USC. <laughs> and Brent was taking a night class at UCLA, but uh, the LA Times, not that long ago, reran the story and said we were from UCLA. So I've given up trying to correct that one. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so so uh, in retrospect, we realized that John was very <laughs> respectful of our process and 
writers in general. Uh, we certainly had much worse experiences later on than having somebody come in and write gags. Uh, what was uh, it originally like a like a darker tone or like how how close to the original is the story? Well, uh, um, ours was yeah, ours was much more realistic, uh, and John really saw it as a broad comedy. And you know, we still disagree about that. I still think the movie would be better if Marner, the head of the company, was not so goofy, and, and especially if the police, you know, the uh, uh, security forces we're not police academy because they yeah. are literally police academy and uh, that's a shame to me because it makes the threat to number five not as real uh, in my opinion but uh, so at the time we were all we were anguished but as I said we were very busy the, the sale was very high profile immediately after selling short circuit we got a call from Steven Spielberg and uh, he said I want to meet you guys and we're like oh my god so we're over at Amblin working on several things at, for, for Spielberg by the time Short Circuit is in production, one of the things was batteries not included, and the director of that movie was listening to us rail on about how angry we were at John and everything. He said, "Guys, you need to chill out. You know, watch watch the movie in five years. You know, it'll be fine." And he was right. <laughs> that was uh, Matthew Robbins who directed Batteries Included. So, uh, you know, with lots of lessons to learn, and, 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 and as I say, you know. When we when we ran into how writers are really treated in Hollywood, uh, we could only hope for John Batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah. Say so we mentioned batteries not included. I, I noticed there were a, a lot of writers on that show, including like uh, Brad Bird of like Incredibles and uh, Tomorrowland and stuff. Um, I know. Yeah. Well, say what was the writing process like for batteries not included? Well, that was an interesting process because Brad and Matthew had written the first draft. It was based on a Steven Spielberg story that was supposed to be for Steven's big TV show that was going at the same time, Amazing Stories. But then they decided, ooh, it's too big for an amazing story. It should be a feature. And so Steven turned around and he handed it off to Matthew and Brad and they wrote the first draft. And then then the way things worked at Amblin was it, if Spielberg said this was a go, it was a go. He was in total charge. It was, the, it was the only time in my career that I got to work in a place that I fantasized was sort of like Disney was back in when Disney was running it. Because at that time, before it became DreamWorks, Spielberg called every shot. He was in every meeting on every movie. And he knew your script better than you did. He was amazing. Nice. And... Uh, uh, I watched someone sell an amazing story in the middle of a meeting with Spielberg on our screen. Someone stepped in the door and he said, what was that idea you had? And the guy said, oh, uh, a kid does something and he loses his sock in the dryer and he goes to the public universe. Good, write it, go, now, do it. <laughs> I mean, this is literally how, how it happened. And then people were, was, the whole company was horrified. Whenever Stephen went into production, then things would stop because he would be, you know, he'd be 100% involved in whatever movie he was making. So but there was this frantic pressure to get decisions made before he walked out the door and went on location. But anyway, so so they wrote the first draft. Then my rambling point, you'll notice that I ramble a lot. Um, oh, no, please, go for it. <laughs> my, my rambling point is that things were moving very fast. So they said, boom, this is going to be a movie. There's no question about it. Studio, you know, the studio didn't say we need to see a script or we would like to do, you know, marketing would like to look at that. No, none of that stuff happened. Steven says, this is a movie. 
Matthew and Brad start writing. They immediately go into pre-production. They're still writing. Now they've got a script that's way too long. They're both too busy. They're they're deeply into pre-production now. And, you know, this is these are just twelve-hour days. You're not running home writing. I and mean, some people are. Some some people do everything, but <laughs> most of us don't. And so we were we were working on Ghost Dad, believe it or not, and also sometimes on Harry and Henderson's, and sometimes on Land Before Time. <laughs> <laughs> And Stephen said, oh, you guys got to write a shorter version of Batteries Not Included. Matthew and Brad don't have time to do it. So it's got to be cut. It's got to be cut. The budget's too high. Because the other thing Spielberg was was natical about coming in on budget. Never wanted anything ever to go over budget. It yeah. only happened once, I think, in his career. Uh, so he just told, he told Matthew, this is how much money you have. This is how much time you have to shoot. And uh, the script is too long. Boom, it has to be cut. So that was our first job, was just to cut the script. So we read it, we analyzed it, you know, and you can't help yourself when you're a writer. You go, gee, we got this idea and that idea. And Matthew and Brett, thankfully, were very open to collaboration. So we ended up rewriting a lot of the script. And I can't even tell you whose ideas are what or anything like that. I mean, it was a, it was a, a pell-mell, frantic process with all of us sitting in a room hammering things out in the group. When I say all the time, Matthew, me, Brent, Brad, Stephen, when he was available. <laughs> <laughs> and we would we would do a draft, and everybody would read it, and we would meet, and then somebody would run in and sell an amazing story, and then we would keep meeting. And then, uh, uh, but that's how, the, that's how the script ultimately got written with me and Brent writing right up, right up to the start of production just making changes either that Stephen requested or Matthew requested or that we came up with and it's it's funny I mean that is not the way Brent and I normally work <laughs> like I said we are outline crazy yeah. and we would have approached it in a different way but it, you know it already existed it was this it was this pell-mell locomotive we're going forward and it had to be shortened and it had to be changed and, and, as, and Spielberg is always open to a new idea always ready to hear a new idea and if he likes it boom yes do it now <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway that's that's how that happened it's, I saw it not too long ago I had not seen it in years and years and years and it, they, they ran it in 35 in, uh, in Chicago so I actually oh. went and saw it <laughs> and I thought wow this is actually much more strange than I remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid being a little strange I, I haven't seen it in years either but yeah we may have to revisit that oh I loved it as a kid that was also one of my mom's favorite movies too oh there you go ah. she, her other favorite movie is a boy and his dog so my mom may have odd taste <laughs> that's funny that's funny yes uh, wow that's an esoteric thing uh, which is my word of the day esoteric that's alright <laughs> that's a good word <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, so I'm sorry. You, you said you're also uh, assisted with writing for like Land Before Time and Harry and the Hendersons, like uh, just everything with Amblin, or yes, all oh, these things were going forward, and then we were writing Ghost Dad, and that was going forward. That was supposed to star Steve Martin as Ghost Dad. Oh, uh, and, and then it imploded, <laughs> <laughs> and we did not know why. We thought it was our fault. We wrote the latest draft of the script based on everybody's notes and they were they had Martin up in, in ILM being tested you know being prepping and the director was a young fella that Stephen had waved his wand and plucked he had done a oh. he had done a film that Stephen liked and he handed him this movie 
And even Hollywood was a little taken aback. This kid had never done a movie, but let alone a big expensive effects movie. And anyway, and years, years later, I'm trying to think of his name, he did a bunch of YouTube videos that did quite well later. But anyway, we didn't know what really happened. We had it in our draft of the script, and then like a week later, someone said, Stephen's not making the movie. And we're like, oh my God. <laughs> what, <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> and they never told us. It was not till years later when we were more connected. Because remember, we were we had just sold for a certain. We were dumped, jumped into the Amblin universe. We were very naive, and we didn't know anything about anything. And what had happened was a young director had overreached himself, and he had made a lot of people angry. And uh, uh, and Stephen just pulled the plug. If it wasn't going to go forward in a nice way, then it wasn't going to go forward. So yeah, it was all kind of a meteoric rise there for in the year after Short Circuit, it sounds like, going straight to Amblin and have, having three or four projects going at a time. That's that's, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was completely crazy. It was, great. it was also the best time of our lives. Our, our, our time at Amblin was really, really fun. Well, I shouldn't say that entirely because Tremors was also the best time of our lives. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, as far as just you know, sort of being in the thick of it and making really big, high-profile high profile things, really fun. With uh, Short Circuit 2, were you also involved in the writing for that movie, or was that more like a based on characters? Or uh, I can't remember I can't remember the, the steps there, but the, this is kind of an interesting part of this story. I've told this before, but our agent said, oh, you cannot do Short Circuit 2. Nobody does sequels. Sequels yeah. are for hacks. <laughs> now, now, we're in a very different Hollywood now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, uh, they're uh, clearing around now. <laughs> at the time, yes, at the time we were lobbied heavily, don't do it. And we said, but, but, but number five is our character. I mean, we're not going to let somebody else write number five. And and, and so we, we overrode our agent and said, look, we're, we're going to write it. So they, we made the deal and we, and we wrote the script. And then you know, there, there are aspects of corporate Hollywood that I will never understand. They would not wait for John Bat. John Bat was willing to do the script. This was also unheard of. He was willing to come back and do another one. They oh, wow. would not wait for him. And when I say wait, I mean like three months or something. Yeah. He was working, shooting something. And they would wait. So they handed it off to the fellow who directed it. Uh, Kenneth Kenny Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. And Kenny came out of TV. He had had a kind of a TV approach to everything. And it was not the, <laughs> the smoothest of rides with Kenny at the helm and then the other thing that happened on that anyway so we did write it we were as, an, as involved in it as we could be given everything else we were trying to do uh, and I will say that we realized that we had overwritten it that it was too complicated and too long and, it, and we did this 11th hour push to cut our own script we said we have to literally we need to cut whole characters out of the script it's too long it's too complicated and the studio said no and Kenny said no we like it just the way it is <laughs> oh, no. so we were we were frustrated at that because, and I still think the movie you know, has problems you know, there are people who like it don't get me wrong you know yeah, and Kenny did something Kenny nailed some things I mean god I think, I think he he permanently transmogrified the minds of kids who saw number five getting get beat up uh, an incredibly violent scene. Yeah, uh, and I'm not. I'm not saying it in a bad way. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's truly emotional. You know, in a way, in a way, really, you know, nothing in short circuit one is even that emotional. It's so creepy. But anyway, warts and all, the movie, <laughs> the movie got made and, and came out. 
Nice. Yeah, say with the original kind of uh, having a more realistic tone and stuff, were you trying to keep that with the second one, or were you trying to like liven it well, up yeah, with yeah. more jokes and stuff? Or? No, we really we tried to achieve the same thing we, we tried to achieve for, for the first one. But here again, you know, writers don't have anything to say about a movie, really. They go off and they make it. We, yeah. did, we did visit the set in Toronto uh, briefly, we spent a few days there, but otherwise we didn't have anything to do with it. We don't have anything to do with the editing. This is starting to bother us because we, we came out of filmmaking, you know, for 10 years we've been making movies ourselves, writing, shooting, cutting, doing the sound. And uh, so we knew the process better than a lot of writers do. And we knew it was going to be too long. We, <laughs> he, did, he made one of these statements. It was, it, was, it was funny in retrospect. He said, look, I direct 46 seconds a page something weird that came out of television or something yeah. I think and we said well maybe he's right but the first cut was two and a half hours long <laughs> <laughs> sure enough it was way too long and then they had to be drastic cut. you know there are bad cuts in the movie I don't know how obvious they are now but if you know the scenes that were cut out and the, the things they tried to paste together you know there's, there's whole explanations for things that are missing in that movie because it was just way too long and uh, I have to ask, have you seen the movie Chappie? No, I I, I did see uh, enough of it to real to think to myself, this looks like short circuit. Yeah, I, I think you may really like it. It's 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 kind of a realistic short circuit kind of approach, but yeah, very very gritty and stuff. I, I think you might enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. A... I, I, I intended to, and I never did. I just totally do. Yeah. I'm making a note in my desk. You know. Excellent. Chappie. <laughs> Yeah, if you have ever wondered what would happen to number five if you went up against the uh, Ed 209 from RoboCop, this is the movie for you. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> grim. Excellent. So, so then, uh, I guess, late 80s, uh, you and Brent were writing uh, Tremors. Um, how, how did that come about? Well, this came up directly out of our experience of being frustrated at not having any control over how movies were made. And our agent said, well, you're not talking about writing, you're talking about producing. Our agent with us forever until she retired. She said, look, you're going to have to write something on spec that we control so that when we sell it, we can have power over what happens when we sell it. Uh, so then we said, well, look, here's a bunch of ideas that we have been kicking around. You know, we got out our file full of ideas, which we had, which all writers have. And we ran them by her, and she said, oh, I like that land shark idea. <laughs> and that's pretty much all it was. It was, there's a monster under the ground. Yeah. Uh, it, it grew out of my experience working, working on movies for the Navy. I had a brief job working for the Navy, but they had a base in the desert. And I would work on this. Two summers, I worked on this Navy base out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. <laughs> And I loved it out there. I thought it was fantastic. And somewhere along that time, I was climbing around on rocks, literally not very far from where we shot Kermit. And I said, gee, it'd be cool if there was something that could move through the sand like a like a fish or something. And I couldn't get off this rock. That's right. <laughs> so I had that note. You know, I tell this story over and over. I, I, my, my, in my mind, it's on a piece of yellow, you know, legal pad or something. But when we tried to find it, and we, Brent and I both knew about it, obviously. But the oldest notes I have, it is not among them. But anyway, that's what we pitched, and our agent said, okay, write that. So we wrote it as a, first we pitched it, and 
nobody liked it. And we attached Ron to it. See, Ron Underwood was supposed to direct Short Circuit. This was our fantasy because we never expected Short Circuit to sell at such a high level. So the idea was, we'll just make a big educational film and Ron will direct it and make it as an independent or something. We didn't know. We didn't know anything. We still don't. Uh, and then, of course, David Foster got a hold of it and it instantly became a John Batten picture. And Ron, being smarter than we were, immediately backed out. He called us to lunch one day and said, guys, you cannot try to attach me to Short Circuit. We said, that's insane. We wrote it for you. He said, no, you cannot do that. <laughs> this will fuck up the works like you can't believe. And he faded into the background. So That's a good uh, friend. Uh, yeah. So all these years later, then, we said, well, by golly, we're going to attach Ron to Short Circuit. I mean, to a Tremors, because now we have some power. And it worked. So we pitched it all over town. Nobody got it. Then we wrote a 25-page treatment. We dragged that all over town. Nobody got it. And, then, you know, and again, again, you know, we're fairly high-profile guys now. We can get a meeting with anybody. Right? And we did. And But we could not sell this idea. So uh, our agent said, well, you're going to have to write it, write the whole script on spec so people get what it is. So then she came up. She was very, very involved in making this happen. She, this is Nancy Roberts who eventually was our manager and also producer on some of our projects. And she said, all right, I'm going to very carefully roll this thing out. She had a, a campaign for attacking Hollywood with our script. When we finished it, and it was this odd thing, <laughs> a daytime monster movie with kind of some funny stuff, but kind of some scary stuff. Nobody knew what it was. Yeah, it's, and it's definitely a genre bender. It was, more so than people realize now. And quite literally, everybody in Hollywood but one guy passed on it. And it was the one guy that she was pretty sure would buy it. He was at Universal, Jim Jacks. So Jim was a huge movie buff. And he knew exactly, you know, the 50s monster movie that it was kind of echoing. And he knew everything about movies. And so he went and lobbied the executives at Universal. <laughs> See, this is a very different time, too. <laughs> there were executives at studios. There still are executives at studios, but they don't do the same thing. There were executives at studios whose job it was to find new material and then bring it to the studio and lobby to make it into a movie. They would find books, they would read scripts, they would read a newspaper article and, and convince the studio to hire a writer based on the newspaper article. This is what they did. Now that doesn't happen anymore. Now marketing makes all the decisions before anything ever gets off the ground, which is part of why Brent and I have trouble selling anything. So. <laughs> and, uh, 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 but Jim went to Don Pollock and Casey Silver, and he said, I love this idea. And they said, I don't know, it's kind of weird. And he said, no, don't, trust me, trust me, it's, it's going to be good, it's going to be good. And then we brought in Ron, and pitched Ron to direct it, and they were still hesitant. They said, well, okay, but only if you get Kevin Bacon, and only for this amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> So Ron had a very nerve-wracking meeting with Kevin Bacon, who thankfully agreed to do it, because that was it. I mean, the movie was writing on that. If you get a star of Kevin Kevin Bacon level, you can make the movie. So going back to your question, the reason we did all this was so we would have control over our movies, because we were frustrated that nobody was making our movies the way we wanted to. So, so this was the birth of uh, Stampede Entertainment? Yeah. Excellent. And that's... Uh, uh, and that was you, Brent, Nancy, and Ron, is that correct? Yeah, Stampede, yeah. 
based on the success of Tremors uh, that you guys had, it was kind of a, it's, I think, still a cult classic. I was, obviously, oh, they're still making the sequels and everything. But after that, you guys uh, did Heart and Souls with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Charles Grodin. Correct. We, we became a production company and, and, and tried to you know, develop ideas that we liked. Uh, that one was based on um, a short film two guys had made and we took it and working with them turned it into a feature length and sadly didn't do well unfortunately uh, while City Slickers was not a stampede movie it did extremely well that helped us of course Ron directed that yeah Um, Heart and Souls to everybody's confusion nobody could figure out why Heart and Souls didn't do well but it didn't do well at all yeah, see, it's a good, good flick. Yeah, yeah. I, don't <laughs> I know, and, and I, to this day, I meet people who give it to loved ones who have had someone pass away. Yeah, people for whom it is their favorite movie. But boy, oh boy, when it came out in the theaters, nobody went. Well, that's a shame. And then uh, a few years later uh, came the long-awaited sequel to Tremors, Tremors Two: Aftershocks. Yeah. And this was your directorial debut. Is that correct? Yeah. That was an interesting moment um, because Universal said, well, if Kevin will come back, we'll make it a feature. If Kevin doesn't come back, it'll go to this new thing we have, our video division. (laughs) And we're like, well, okay, I guess. So we went and lobbied Kevin, and of course, for 20 years, Kevin said he hated Tremors. So we did not know that he hated Tremors. He was always great to work with, and he never hinted to us that that he thought his career was going down the tubes when he made that movie. It's very ironic that much, much later that he decided he did like the movie and tried to make his own TV series about it. Yeah. But but anyway, at the time, he was he was really coming to grips with... Uh, Tremors, you know, was not a huge hit. And uh, he did okay, but it wasn't a runaway hit. And, and that was kind of the last straw for Kevin. He'd had a number of things not do well. And that's when he changed his career and he went off and started doing really cool, you know, character things, playing murderers and all kinds of weird characters. And uh, and, and he really, he reinvented himself as kind of a not-quite-leading man. <laughs> I don't know what he would call it, a, a leading yeah. character guy. Yeah, kind of like darker uh, darker movies like Murder in the First and, exactly, yeah, like, Hollow yeah. Man even. So anyway, stuff but like he's that. very nice. Listen, like I said, he never said, you know, your movie, I thought your movie was terrible and I hated being in it. He never said that. He just said, it's not right for me at this time. I don't want to do it. And so we said, okay, well, so we frantically had to rewrite our script. We'd already finished the script starring Kevin and, and Fred. So we frantically started rewriting the script because the studio was bent on making it. They were going to make it no matter what because this video division was this new thing and Tremors was huge in video. Thanks. Well, we got Fred Ward and uh, Michael Gross to come back. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Michael was willing to come back, and Fred came back, and uh, so we, we jettisoned the Val character and frantically came up with the character Grady, you know, and made Tremors 2. And then because it was directed to video, and the video division didn't care, <laughs> you know, Nancy says, why don't you let's do direct it? We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Huge vote of confidence. Well, you know, what's funny, this is also, this was also the beginning of marketing running things. What the video division said to us at the time was a backhanded compliment. We literally don't care what you do because we can sell an empty box called Tremors. (laughs) (laughs) You've developed a brand. I don't know that if you've seen Tremors 5 and 6, but 
we're almost at the empty box level. <laughs> yes, as a as a movie monster fan and especially a huge Tremors fan, there's some disappointment that's happening. Uh, but on that note, you were saying Kevin Bacon at the time wasn't thrilled about Tremors. We recently were having a discussion with a fellow podcast who was trying to figure out Kevin Bacon's greatest role. And there were a number of us kind of involved in this conversation. And to the shock of the podcast trying to figure out what was Kevin Bacon's uh, finest role, the rest of us all agreed pretty much in unison. Tremors, we think, is pretty much his greatest role. I believe so. I think he's just fantastic in the movie. I think he just nailed it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he has, like, such a wide range. He has a full character arc, like... Is it his only like monster movie where he's he's not the monster? I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was well, we couldn't fathom, you know, why he why he didn't like the character or, or and, and again, he could not have been better to work with. I mean, this guy is professional in the extreme. The entire grueling shoot out in the snow. It both snowed and hailed, and the wind blew, and it was 120 degrees all in our 25 days out there. Uh, it was it was physically very demanding. Kira was pregnant with their first child, and there were no cell phones again. Remember, and yeah. so we had a radio phone that came from a mountaintop to one spot on the set. This was the only way to reach us, and. Uh, and we had that because Kevin insisted. He said, look, if I'm going to be out in the middle of the desert in this God-forsaken location, I need for Kira to be able to get in touch with me because she's yeah. due any time. And, and she gave birth during our movie. I remember the day. Oh. It was the scene where Kevin drags the, the uh, drink cooler away from the table. He and Fred, and the monster is coming <laughs> through the floor and gets, gets Walter. That was the day Kevin's baby was born. We got the call. While that scene was shooting, and the minute we were done, Kevin ran off the set. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was fabulous to work with. He is. He and he and Fred, you know, just came up with this unbelievable chemistry. You know, you know do credit to Ron, of course, too, directing. But uh, yeah, we, we we felt we were the luckiest people in the world. We had the greatest cast ever, greatest effects people ever. <laughs> yeah. It was a fabulous experience. As hard as it was. Oh my god, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, but, well, and say, then when you took over directing uh, in the sequel, yeah, with all the effects and all that, how was it, I, I guess, being in charge now with the movie and directing it all and having doing like the Ray Harryhausen stuff in the past, but now on, on an epic scale with the, the, the giant tremors or worms? And the heat seekers, the yeah. screamers. Well, direct, directing is a, is a blast. It really is. You're like a king. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> running. You know, if you know, it certainly helps to know what you're doing, what you're going for, because that's what people need from you. They need clarity and decisions. And uh, you know, and Brent and I, you know, we plan these things out. And we did. We did exactly the same thing for Tremors too. Once we we planned out the script and wrote it, uh, and then Brent was you know very closely involved on the set every day. And I knew what things I wanted to accomplish with the effects, things that had not gone well on Tremors. One, I really wanted a monster to burst out of the ground with lots of force because we had lots of difficulty solving that problem on the first movie. And, you know, things like that. But then primary job, of course, is working with the cast and getting the best you can for the characters, you know, and 
again, of course, we're fortunate to have such good people come to us. Michael Rose, who just who owns the character of Bert. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he researched survivalists, and he, even though he's not, he, he does not own firearms per se, he did put an earthquake kit in his house based on all of his survival research. <laughs> nice. It's good just to be safe, you know, it's just a good yeah, household tip. It's a good idea, <laughs> you know, you live in Los Angeles, you should have them, so. Bert's such a fun character. Yeah, yeah, we really had fun with the character, and we, we never dreamed that he would take off the way he did. You, you don't know these things, It's but it's partly the character, but it's the way, it's partly the writing, but it's also Michael, who just brought this wonderful quality to it. It's the ability to really walk a line. Bert is extreme, but he's not completely crazy. <laughs> Nor is he immoral, or any of those things. You know, we even made sure in Tremors 1 that he did not have any illegal firearms. We made the decision early on that he would be wacky, but but not illegal. You know, he's not a, not a militia person who wants to overthrow yeah. the government. Not that, he's just paranoid. Nice. Was there a particular like person you had in mind when you were writing it, or something like I don't know, like a big '80s action star or something like that? Or no, but it, it certainly wasn't the father from Family Ties. <laughs> uh, we we had to read Michael and uh, Reba McIntyre because the studio, once they gave the green light to the movie, began to try to shore it up in every way they could. And they said, you don't have to cast them, but you have to read them. Uh, and Reba came in, she had never acted before, and but her record label belonged to Universal at the time. Mm. <laughs> and that's how this happened. And she came in and she completely blew us away. We went, oh my God, she's amazing. And then Michael did the same thing, because he thought we were there, he thought we were reading him, because he had just done a creepy killer character in, in some movie, some TV special or something. Oh. It was something about, there was an awful shooting between FBI agents and somebody, like in the South in Florida or something. Gee, I can't remember I can't remember the story now. And he thought, we had not seen it. All we knew was, oh, the guy from Family Ties. And so he came in all prepared to read for Bird. And he was, you know, he was so extreme, we were completely unprepared for what he did. And Ron remembers him jumping up on the desk at one point. Yeah, and so he blew us away, and Reba blew us away. And Finn Carter was fantastic. She had exactly what we were looking for. She came out of uh, live TV. She came out of a soap opera in New York. She was more like hiring somebody right out of theater, because her biggest difficulty on the shoot was keeping, was shooting out of order, something she had never done. Oh, yeah. She was used to going in, memorizing, you know, five days worth of lines <laughs> and going in Monday morning and shooting, 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 just like just like a play. And uh, so she was forever asking Ron, okay, do I know this guy? Have I met this guy before? What's, am I scared or not? What's happening? <laughs> Nice. So it was up to, Ron, up to Ron to keep Finn apprised of where she was at any given moment. God, she was intuitive, though. She was just amazing. Awesome. Yeah, we were so lucky. Everybody we had, everybody. Shoot, I mean, down to the last crew member. <laughs> just amazing. It's, it's a, I have this theory that once in a while, everything comes together for a movie, and Tremors was that movie. <laughs> 
And sometimes nothing comes together for a movie. It's a perfectly good script and the cast is good, but somehow everything just goes off the rails in some way. <laughs> and which movie was that? <laughs> so, okay, where are we? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, how was it working with... Yeah, directing is wonderful, and I had all these ideas, and I pretty much was able to accomplish what I wanted, granted, with only a third of the money, and, and half the time, I was able to... Um, you know, put together what I wanted. To do. Shortly after that, you were involved with uh, writing uh, Wild Wild West there in uh, 1999. But that was uh, <laughs> yeah. with the uh, the Thomas brothers, uh, who had who had done uh, apparently had written like Predator and Executive Decision and Mission to Mars and all these great movies. Uh, how, how was it working with Wild Wild West? Well, the odd thing about Wild Wild West is it was it was our original script based on nothing else. Uh, other than the TV show. The producers came to us and said, we have had a number of scripts written based on the TV show. We don't like them, and we don't want you to read them. We don't want you to rewrite them. We want you to come up with your own thing. Because we were kind of, by then, you know, sort of known as the Tremors guys. Now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we did. And they had one rule, no dirigible, no, no, no atom bomb. <laughs> no matter what the villain does, it can't be an atom bomb. And so we came up with an entirely new Wild Wild West story. We loved the show. We knew the show quite well. And uh, we watched the episodes. We got in touch with the fan club. Let's tell you how long ago this was. And read their <laughs> mimeographed newsletter. Ooh. It was the only way of staying in touch with one another. Yeah. And... Uh, we read their newsletter, and we and we so we so we came up with this this script, uh, and it didn't go anywhere. It went on the shelf. So this was years before what you're thinking is of the Wild Wild West, and so they were they we owed them a rewrite, and they didn't trigger it. There's a thing. There's rules in Hollywood. If they you, you, you agree to write two or three drafts, whatever it is, and they have a certain time window in which to trigger those drafts, and if they don't do it, then theory it doesn't happen but what happened was some years later and I can't remember I was deeply in the middle of something else I can't remember what it was we were at Stampede you know we had the Stampede offices in Hollywood and uh, uh, we get this call out of the blue from Warner Brothers we want to trigger a rewrite and we go guys you're like a year late you know (laughs) you can't technically trigger our rewrite and they said we don't care we'll sue you okay calm down <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so I get to Brent. I said, Brent, they want to, they want, they want to rewrite Wild Wild West. And you know, oh, okay, because we're thinking it's dead. You know, that, that happens all the time. Right? Ghost Dad had died for years and years, and we had nothing to do with the Ghost Dad that was ultimately made. It was vaguely based on our script, but our <laughs> script had been on the shelf at Universal for years when uh, when Bill Cosby picked it up. So anyway, so so suddenly they said, well, there's interest, there's interest in your script. Barry Sonnenfeld wants to do. It. Oh, okay. So, Barry had seen our script, and he had notes. So, we then got involved in the rerun. And then it got to be so Hollywood. It's one of our most Hollywood stories. Uh, So, we're meeting with Barry. But then, immediately, John Peters gets assigned to the movie by Warner Brothers. Because now it's a big movie. And the two guys who I... The two producers whose idea it was, who, who had acquired the rights and who had hired us, got pushed off the movie. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Ooh. <laughs> so, so now we're working for, for John Peters and Barry Sonnenfeld and a million other people. 
you couldn't believe these meetings. We had we had never been in anything like this because this, you know, this was a huge movie. Short Circuit was a reasonably big movie. This was a huge movie, and this is when Hollywood was getting into huge. And that's why they assigned John Peters because that's what he does. He does huge movies. And I don't even know, you know, what other credentials he might have had. But uh, I'm rambling again. The the point is that we took all this information from all of these sources and we wrote another draft of the script. And then Barry flew us to New York to, to get final notes and do another draft. And there were many crazy episodes in between. I'll try, I'll try to I'll try to encapsulate them. Uh, John Peter's office. We did not generally deal with John himself. We, we dealt with him through intermediaries, except occasionally. And they did not like our big walking spider. We loved our big steampunk spider. Which, by the way, when I get to the end of my story, I'll, I will point out that is the only thing for our script that is left in the movie. Because <laughs> we thought, oh, this is. Because, you know, I come out, you know, I'm, I'm always doing Ray Harryhausen in my mind. I think, wow, now we have the technology to make this thing really cool. This, yeah. this mm-hmm. yeah, that would be awesome. So immediately John Peter says, no, it can't be a walking spider. That's stupid. It has to be a stealth bomber. And we said, <laughs> you mean, of course, and sort of an, a 19th century stealth bomber. No, I need a stealth bomber. Have you seen one of these things? They're really scary. <laughs> I, I kid you not. This is the conversation. We go, yeah, well, can we put rivets on it or something? Well, okay, if you have to, but... So the next draft had a stealth bomber in it that the villain was flying around. And thank God, the next meeting we went to, Barry Sonnenfeld said, in his funny voice, he's kind of, he's such a funny character, he's so New York, you know. I don't mean that in a bad way, he's just, he's just that character, and he's just funny. Yeah. He's so urban. And he says... And he says, oh, you know, the only thing I, there's a, I have a concern, I have a concern, I, uh, you know, this flying machine at the end, if it's flying and I'm just, I'm going to be up in the air and I'm gonna, everything is going to be green screen, there's not a lot to, for me to be able to see, you know, relatively where I am, you know, I'm, this, there's, there's got to be 20 people in this meeting, mind you, we're <laughs> in the back of the room somewhere, and uh, it's at John Peter's house. So I timidly raised my hand and I go, you know, Mr. Sonnenfeld, there, there's a, uh, there was a, a walking giant machine in an early draft of the script that you may not have seen. You know, I'd like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a guy stands up, in the, in, an, an executive stands up and says, I really support that, I, Mr. S- that idea, Mr. Sonnenfeld. <laughs> so st- I, cannot, I, I cannot overstate how wacky these meetings were in this Everybody was on this movie. You know, everybody was trying to lay claim to this movie because yeah. it was huge. That's what happens. Every executive wants to be associated with it because it's huge. So everybody was in every meeting. So anyway, the walking machine went back in. Thank God. And we finished our script and we handed it in. And just like with Ghost Dad, we never heard another word from anybody. <laughs> that was the last thing we heard about the movie, other than that nine other writers followed us. Oh my. That's that a lot. we know of. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> you know, and at some point, Barry decided he was going to you know, star Will Smith because he just worked with Will Smith. At the time, you know, it's not like I thought it was a bad idea because I thought, oh my God, he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Maybe. It seems a little weird. But the only thing I heard much later from an executive that I got to know at Warner Brothers was that they realized 
they had cast Will Smith as the straight man. Ah. <laughs> he was known for yeah for being, being wacky. Dumb. Yeah. And so Boss Martin from the TV show was the funny guy, and the other fellow. Um, oh, oh, you mean uh, Kevin Klein is uh, Artemis? Yes. So Kevin Klein was the Ross Martin role, and Will Smith is the straight role, and that's how we had written. Not that by the time we were done, any of our script was left. But what what is odd about this, by the way, is the, the only reason we're having this conversation is that our names are on the movie, and I don't know why. Because with not writers following us, we should have gotten pushed off the movie. Because that's generally what happens. You know, there's so much rewriting done that the, the, the writers' guild decides who gets credit, not the studio. Uh, uh, and the writers' guild jealously guards that power. Uh, but generally speaking, so much writing is done that the, the subsequent writers lobby the guild. There's a there's a system for this. Yeah. And yeah. AI wrote this much, and Joe Blow wrote that much. And, but because it was our original script, they're, they're very, very protective of the original writer because we wrote the script that everybody said they were going to make, Barry and other people. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's what the <laughs> well, even Maybe Barry just wanted to make sure you guys got credit for the, the, the cool giant steampunk spider. Maybe that's, walking spider, that's yeah. us. <laughs> I don't know that there's a line of dialogue. Because anyway, they, they began frantically writing comedy scenes. Toward the end, they were literally hiring you know, comedy writers to write comedy scenes for Will to do. Oof. Yeah, try, try to lighten it up or something nice. Well, so that's why you get kind of strange, long scenes when they're both wearing the strange collars. It's kind of you get the monologue, which is not that funny, where he's being hung or lynched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's there's definitely some questionable elements to that movie. That's <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, context. <laughs> yeah, it's funnier. The executive who years later told me, you know, about the nine writers and everything else, he was mad. He's still mad that Hollywood views Wild Wild West as one of the bigger flops in history. He said it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It made a lot of money. Yeah, same. It made a, it made its billion dollars back or whatever they spent on it, but it was not a flop. He was adamant about that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it didn't lose a hundred million dollars. Like it probably broke even with every with home sales and everything. For a movie like that, is you know, it's not bad. Yeah. But anyway, yes, that's the Wild Wild West story. Yes, our names are on it. No, we didn't write. <laughs> Nice. Well, you guys did write Tremors three back to perfection, um, and I good. and I guess this time uh, Brent took up directing. How was that? Oh, it was fun. It was it was great. Whenever the video division came back to us, you know, we had total control over Tremors two, three, and four, and to some extent the, the first TV series, and uh, they were just a blast to make because you know we knew the monster guys, and we you know we could bring back you know, people loved working on them, the guys that. Amalgamated Dynamics, you know, these multi-Academy Award-winning guys whose first movie was the original Tremors. Uh, They would come back and cut their rates and make stuff work and puppeteer the stuff themselves to save us money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and other, you know, you you get into a network of people who know people, you know, they know people and the effects guys know people and and your whole network of people is really can-do. And they had, we, they know we had a reputation, too, as, as being good people to work for in the sense of 
you know, we were always open to ideas. I mean, we weren't ever riding roughshod over people. We were always like, hey, you've got an idea for a costume, tell us. You've got an idea for an effect, tell us. We're, you know, if it fits, we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so they're just great fun, yeah. So Brent, so Brent directed, and uh, and I did second unit, like I had done on the on the first movie. Oh gosh, and people just killed themselves. That one had more CG effects than the other Tremors had had because yeah. they, they were coming in now and they were being being dual. But and they, you know, they're not all great. I know they're not all great. No, but I think uh, the third uh, one's awesome. So. Yeah, say I mean it was just becoming affordable, so you know they're they're decent, especially for straight to DVD, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shooting on film, and there were still problems getting things to match, and weird things would happen when you inexplicable things would happen. You get the shot, you know, put the CG monster in the shot, and then everything would turn green. You know, and kind of everybody would not shake their heads. But you know, we didn't have the kind of money to throw at those problems. Because the one thing about working for the video division at Universal was the budget was the budget. It was very much like the educational film days. You know, the budget was the budget. You know, you, the marketing had decided how much you could spend on the movie to be guaranteed that you would make money in the video market. If you sold it to Walmart and to X number of other outlets, you would be guaranteed making money. That's exactly. This was the beginning of that process. Now it is applied to the big movies as well. So, just out of curiosity, whose idea was the Ass Blaster? That came from Tom and Alec. Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis at ADI. Uh, oh, the monster, monster designer guys. <laughs> they, we, we, we knew we wanted to do something different. We said, well, gee, you know, we've kind of we've kind of set a high bar with Shriekers. You know, Shriekers came because we said we are not going to do a Queen Grab. That, yes. was, that was literally the first thing we said. When they said we want Tremors 2, we said back to them, no Queen, queen Grab <laughs> you know, but being the video division, I said, we don't care. <laughs> so, so thank God they didn't care. And we said, I wonder if we can make it work. You know, tiny monsters that are still scary. Mm-hmm. So now we've, now we're stuck. <laughs> we know Shriekers are next. <laughs> and we have no idea what to do. So when this first came up, you know, thankfully we're in, in touch with everybody. We said, hey, there's going to be a Tremors 3. And Tom and Alec came in and said, have you ever heard of the Bombardier Beetle? <laughs> they know everything about the natural world. That's why their creature designs are so fantastic. Their creature designs are based on reality all the time. And it may look fantastical, but they have books and books and books of you know, just weird things like close-ups of alligator skin and, uh, and their, their knowledge of anatomy and biology is so extensive. So everything they do is always comes out of the real world in a weird way, in a twisted way. And they said, have you ever heard of the bombardier beetle? I said, no. And said, so, well, it's a real thing. It's a beetle that mixes chemicals in its butt and explodes them to get away from creatures. Now, <laughs> sure enough, you go on my video, it mm-hmm. makes a sound like a fire. And we're like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. So <laughs> we can have this. And... I'm going to say it was Brent. I don't know who came up with the actual word ass blaster, which we've always kind of, it's, it seems like a Brent thing. Brent comes up with the wacky lines of dialogue and the, and the more extreme characters. It tends to be Brent. Because we, we struggled with the name. And, and to this day, you know, there are people who don't like it. Uh, I, I, I have heard from religious fans who do like the movies a lot. One guy had, had found a program that somehow deleted Oh, no, no, that was the problem. Had them that would delete bad language on the 
fly. He would play a video through this machine, <laughs> and it would catch the bad language, so that it would just get bleeped somehow in his home. And he wrote to me, and he said, I'm very disappointed, because it doesn't know the word ass blaster. <laughs> 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 See, and you mentioned the uh, the TV series. Um, how was that different from, like, working on, the, uh, on like, movies themselves? Was it a little more difficult, because there was just more to be done? Well, or? No, because Brent and I didn't have experience in that world for step one. And that thing came, that came out of the blue, too. We had actually tried to sell a TV series years before this. We always thought it was a great idea for a series. And we had come up with a pitch, and we had drawings and monsters and all this stuff, and we had gone around and pitched, and nobody would buy it. So we had set it aside, and then Sci-Fi came out of the blue and said, we want a series right now. Do you want to do it? We're going to do it. Do you want to do it? And we're going to do it. Yes, we do. <laughs> but that was, a, that was the beginning of a difficult process because A, we don't have, didn't have the experience. B, because we didn't have the experience, they gave us executives and the chief production executive, I can't think of his title, who began to, in our opinion, ride roughshod over the process. Uh-huh. Plus they sat with, with odd things, like we had the option of shooting New Mexico or Mexico, and they said, oh, Mexico, absolutely, it'll be cheaper. And people on the production at the time said, eh, it probably won't really be by the time we do transportation and everything. The sci-fi was at, no, you will shoot in Mexico. It was a nightmare <laughs> to uh. do. It was a disaster. But the, not a disaster, but it, was, it made everything really hard. It meant less of the dollar got onto the screen and more of it went to, God, everything bribes. It was, it was a nightmare getting guns into Mexico. because oh, they, Though they have a lot of them, they don't officially have a lot of them. And uh, I was always afraid one of our guys was going to get you know, arrested and thrown, you know, just disappear into jail somewhere because toward the end they were doing bad things that I didn't even know they were doing. They, wouldn't, they didn't tell me. They said, oh, Bert's gun has made it to the set. And I'm like, so did you talk to the guy who was supposed to give you the permit in Mexico City? Uh, sort of. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, God, I have no idea how they were doing this stuff. Because, it, you know, it's, it's production crew was doing what they had to do and oh it was horrible so anyway so we over the course of the 13 episodes we began to lose control and get pushed off of the show which was which was sad because it was a our job was trying to make tremors and what we found when we hired our four or five writers to write the show is that tremors you know being an oddball thing an oddball mix of of comedy and, and horror People come to it thinking that it's comedy. They think it's farce, really. I don't know why, but that's what they think. And all of our writers' first drafts were terrible. <laughs> I mean, broad comedy, Three Stooges-level comedy. Okay. And we kept saying, no, 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 and frantically rewriting. And as we were warned, of course, we're running out of time. You know, production is heading, coming to us. We don't have the scripts done. We're frantically rewriting. You know, thank God several of our writers really got it. Babs Grahowski wrote a fantastic script later in the show. And uh, and I shouldn't single her out. I mean, everybody, actually, names are getting away from me. But the fellow who wrote Night of the Shriekers, that was a great episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was an old-timer who knew that we would need a cheap show at some point. So we're going to run out of money. We need a show that takes place in one room. This is an old TV guy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a bottle show. It all takes place in a bottle. 
so he wrote Night of the Shriekers. That was our bottle show. Nice. And, uh, and Dad wrote uh, Paranoia Between Friends. <laughs> for, for, and uh, Tyler go off to <laughs> a motel. Oh, it was great. So we had some really good episodes. We had some really terrible episodes. We had some disasters with special effects. Uh, things that just didn't work at all. Uh, because we, we were not on the set. We didn't go to Manhattan. Uh, we couldn't. We had to be in the office writing and rewriting just constantly. So the directors would go down and do crazy stuff. And we'd see the dailies and we'd be freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the episode. There's one episode where we thought it would be funny if Bert was stuck. And he, he could only get, get old-timey flintlock rifles. I remember <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, say we, we have the series here at home and we watched them all about about two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty good. Pretty good. And you know, and, and I and we see the dailies and I don't know what, you know, people were thinking, but whatever they're putting down the gun barrels is white. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going it looks like, you know, like salt. And I'm going, you know, I don't know a lot, but I'm pretty sure gunpowder is black. <laughs> <laughs> but this stuff would come all the time. It may be down in Mexico it's white. I don't know. <laughs> so a little, a little more sun bleached or something. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it got to be quite political, and eventually they barred us from the editing room. The editors were were mad too because they actually wanted to know what we thought, but oh. but they they were frantically trying to finish the show, you know, and get it done, get the thirteen episodes done, and they felt like we were just coming up the works. So nice. we and, pushed and, off our own show. Oh, what were you uh, writing Tremors for at the time? Because right around that same. What's the other crazy thing? Now, Sci-Fi is owned by Universal. Here you, this is back to the corporate universe. The, remember the people who would not wait for John Badham, would not wait three months for John Badham. <laughs> yeah. The guy who directed their giant hit movie. Well, here's, here's Universal. Here's Universal Home Video, and there's Universal that owns Sci-Fi, and everybody suddenly says, "We want Tremors Four, and we want a TV series." We're like, "Great, we'll do it all. We'll do it all." They go, "No." We're going to shoot Tremors four four weeks before the Tremor the series ends, and we go, <laughs> why? You know, because it didn't come out for nine months after we finished it. Yeah. So and they never explained why, but it meant that, that Michael Gross could not be in the last four episodes of the series, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, and I couldn't write on the last four episodes of the series, the last four weeks of shooting, because I was directing Tremors four. So I left. Brent alone <laughs> in the chaos of the production office this is before we got pushed out. So he's frantically trying to rewrite scripts for Mexico, and I'm frantically going into pre-production, and then Michael leaves Mexico and comes up to shoot Tremors 4, because nobody will wait. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> to say, I can't, I don't know enough executives to find out why. And just out of curiosity, what's uh, what's your relationship like with the current Tremor sequels, like five and six? Is it uh, like at all, or? Well, it's a very it's a very sad situation. When they came to they they based Tremors five on a script that we wrote for Tremors five when they thought they were going to make Tremors five immediately after Tremors four four did not do as well as they thought it would, and they canceled plans for Tremors five, and for many many years said they were never going to make another Tremors. And that's what I would always tell the fans. It's a stampede where I still answer questions, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 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 and then one day, and so whenever this was, a few years ago, I got the, you know, the call, hey, we're making Tremors 5. We're basing it on your script. Do you want to rewrite it for a lower budget? And we said, of course we do. And we're happy to come in and do what we've always done. And they said, 
no, 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 that's not the situation. We want you to rewrite the script, but you cannot write, produce, edit, direct, or have anything to do with the movie whatsoever. Uh. <laughs> <I> said, Why? <laughs> and they said, the only reason they gave us, this is people we'd worked with for 20 years, the only reason they gave us is you do not have enough experience to make a low-budget movie. Oh? We said, we said what? were Tremors 2, 3, and 4. And they said, well, that's our that's our reason. You can have no creative involvement with the movie at all. Oh, interesting. That's the, way, that's the way it has been left. So they based Tremors 5 supposedly on our script, even though there's absolutely nothing left in our script in Tremors 5. And Tremors 6, uh, I don't know anything about. I, I know the writer, a very nice guy. He actually is the writer of Tremors 3. But he has told me he doesn't have the best relationship with the director who apparently does a lot of rewriting on set so oh, interesting so all I know about Tremors 5 and 6 nice well for your script for Tremors 5 was it going to Africa or uh, like what was the basic premise of it it's supposed to be what we call a handoff movie Bert was supposed to hand off the Tremors franchise to a younger Bert and it was set in Australia oh. and I rather like it actually we read it at the time. And uh, it was set in Australia, and Bert went to Australia to check up on some ass plasters. And uh, we had a young, crazy Australian kid. and uh, Probably one of the Hemsworths? No, I don't know. <laughs> and what? Oh, sorry. Uh, pro- probably one of the uh, Hemsworth brothers in mine, like Chris and Liam Hemsworth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that would be great. But anyway, yeah, so... Uh, it, it just languished for many years, however long, whatever the span between Tremors 4 and Tremors uh, 5 is. And uh, um, like I say, that, that when they gave, so they, they hired John Welby to write Tremors, to, to rewrite our script, because we said, well, look, we don't, want to, we don't want to work on it if we're not going to be involved in it. And so they said, okay, so they hired John to revise it, and then he told me it was just chaos trying to get Because it was, hey, you know, it was for five million. I don't know what the budgets are in South Africa, but they are, they are smaller than even the budgets for trimmers two, three, and four. Uh, and they do them in some way where they, they hand the entire production off to a South African company. So they bring, yeah. in a, they bring in a U.S. director and they bring in Michael and then everything else is handled in Australia. It's sort of, you know, hands off and then a movie comes back to Universal. That's the way it's done. That may be part of the reason that they didn't want us to go there. Although, like I said, all they said is we didn't have enough experience. <laughs> uh, well, they're lost, I think. <laughs> Well, and um, well, that's, that's a lot of fans say. I, I have gotten lots of nice emails from fans going, "What on earth happened?" <laughs> you can feel the difference. The yeah. the as a huge fan of the Tremors movies, like one through four, you can you can feel the like the love in it, and five feels like a sci-fi movie that like direct a TV movie that's trying and six feels like well fuck it we've given up here's just what you said you wanted but it's nothing <laughs> what we wanted <laughs> oh yes yeah it's hard yeah well and looking in your uh, IMDB page uh, it has a couple things that, that listed as in development uh, among them is a TJ Hooker movie and a short circuit reboot oh IMDB is so much fun um, yeah right. <laughs> technically true. Years and years ago, yes, we actually got at pretty close on TJ Hooker. We, you know, we met with um, 
William Shatner. He was he was going to come back, and uh, can't remember. I don't think we ever got as far as a script. I think we were only pitching stuff. Along. But then you know these things. So many, so many things have to get in line for something to work. And it didn't all line up, and it didn't work. And what was the other one you mentioned? Uh, uh, the Short Circuit reboot. Oh God, yeah, that we did right. Uh, oh. We we think we have a great version of an updated short circuit that was exactly you know and, and oddly enough the studio that that acquired the rights for a while was dimension we pitched them and they well first we pitched them a new version because david foster was still involved david has always wanted to do a new short circuit he didn't want to do a, a reboot but that's turns out that's what they wanted we, we worked and worked and worked and gave them this big long pitch for a brand new short circuit and uh, they said, no, 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 we just want to remake it. Oh, no. all right, well, we have ideas for that, too. And we, it was it was quite an interesting process. So they actually they actually did hire us years ago, though, years ago. And uh, we updated it doing not only tonally what we always wanted to do on the first one, but then updated, you know, because it's, it's, it's quite a challenge, you know, with cell phones and computers and how does, how does Johnny disappear when everybody's got a cell phone? Yeah. And... Uh, 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 it was it was great fun to do, and we thought we had a really good updated Stephanie character and new ideas for gags and new wacky things for Number Five to do with the same concept. And then one thing that one of the producers that tasked us with was uh, didn't love the ending of the first short circuit. He felt like it was kind of telegraphed. So we were really pleased with the new ending we came up with. Uh, but uh, the only thing that came back from Dimension was you're too close to your own material thank you we're moving on and at least as many writers as followed us on <laughs> the Wild Wild West have since rewritten Short Circuit uh. but it's, it's kind of amazing to me because Dimension is not a place that pays for rights you know and doesn't make a movie so it yeah. must have been pretty disastrous <laughs> that we never made any uh, it's probably all the rewrites. The, the rewrites messed it up, I'm sure. <laughs> so let's say you're given $40 million budget. Like, Do you have like uh, actors in mind like for a short circuit reboot? Like, Is it along the same lines of... Uh, I forget Steve Gutenberg's character's name. Uh, Her- oh my gosh. Newton. Oh. Newton. Newton. That's right. <laughs> Newton Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, do you have like characters in mind or anything? Like, people you like to get involved with something like that? I'm terrible at that. I, I have oh, okay. to have a casting director tell me people. I can never think of anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Brent is better at it than I am, but I I can never call people to mind. You know, I go to movies all the time. And I watch TV all the time. And love everybody that I see, and cannot think of them when push comes to shove. Yeah, no problem. So, so do you have any like any upcoming uh, projects or like dream projects in the works that you're uh, looking to get out there? We uh, well, the, the thing I'll, I'll I'll pitch is my books that I've been writing. I've oh, I, I have Tucker's Monster, which has been out for a couple three years, and Frady Cats, based on a a, 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 a pitch that Brenda and I could not sell. And we knew we were in trouble when we were at 20th Century Fox a number of years ago, and we were pitching this idea for Freddy Cats. It's about two cats who are in the lab, Frankenstein's lab, and they, they're the ones who cause everything to go wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy at 20th, is, this is how Hollywood has changed. This is it in a nutshell. You know, Back when we sold Tremors, there was Jim Jacks, whose job it was to find new material and bring it to the studio. This guy, same job, said, oh, I love this idea. Thank God, because we pitched it all over the time. 
I love this idea. And then the same breath, he says, can't touch it. I go, oh, okay, why? And he says, well, it's not based on anything. Uh, no way I could get this by marketing because it's a new idea. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah, shame. For new ideas, it seems like you, it has to be a new idea from Christopher Nolan or you know, like, like <laughs> one of like three yeah, people in there, the world. There, is a, there are a few people who can do it, yes, but you do have to be Christopher Nolan to get to, to get a studio to greenlight your idea. And we ain't that. So, yeah, so uh, so it languished. And so then I, I asked, I talked to Brent, you know, a couple, three years ago. I said, look, I'm going to turn it into a book. Then it'll be based on something. There you go. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, so the book is called Brady Cats, and it's out there, and it's gotten some nice reviews. And, uh, and then Brady Cats Two is coming out this year. Excellent. Uh, is it uh, Amazon or like? Do you have a website or something yeah. you're selling it through? Or? Uh, it's all on Amazon. It's also uh, the, the the website that handles it is called a real yeah a real deal productions all one word dot com. And Tucker Bonson's there. Some short stories are there. Um, and then Brent and I have to go to the other part of your question. Brent and I have continued to write on spec, um, not having much luck. I have to admit, uh, we wrote a monster movie. We tried. To, we've been trying to write low budget stuff that we can get going. Uh, we wrote a uh, we wrote a sci fi movie with no special effects, none. <laughs> and it was quite a challenge. Ron asked us to do. Ron, Ron directs television now. That's what. Ron really likes to work and work and work and work, and he's become the go-to guy for every TV show you ever heard of. Ron is directing it. He works all the time. But he, you know, we, we are in touch with him all the time, and he said, you know what you got to do, guys? You got to write a, you gotta write a, a sci-fi movie with no special effects. And we laughed, and we said, what if we could do that? So we did. And uh, people like it, you know, the few people who have seen it. You know, but now we're in a situation, our agent's retired, you know, we're old guys, and uh, uh, we don't have the context we used to have. And even the context we have, you know, they're not, you know, they're not at studios anymore. Some of them still have production deals and things like that. <laughs> We're kind of slowly finding ourselves, you know. So that's why I've turned to novels. I'm hoping that a novel will get enough, you know, get rolling enough that a studio might get interested in because it's a novel. You know, because everything is everything is based on something. You know, my, my joke is I'm going to get a postcard and go into a studio and say, "Hey, I got a I got a script based on this postcard." Millions <laughs> of people have bought this postcard seriously. So. <laughs> I call it "Wish uh, You Were Here." No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, you're there. You got the idea. Right? See, uh, <laughs> just, you know, I mean, they're literally spending hundreds of millions of dollars on you know the game Battleship. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and they did. You know, and the studio will defend that position. I saw the, the head of, I guess it was Universal. I saw him go, you know, to. Variety, or quoted somewhere in Variety or someplace, saying this was a really good idea. Do you realize how many people have played all down the Yeah. Oh, yeah. someone has the rights to Slinky the movie too. Yep, Slinky I saw the that. movie. Yeah. I'm waiting for Jenga the movie. I actually have a little spec script for that one. It's got Stallone. It's going to be great. No. They don't realize how comical they're being when they say those. Things. Uh, they really don't. I, I heard a report about a Tetris trilogy, and I. I, I threw my phone. I was so angry at the thought of that. <laughs> no, I, no, I was kidding. <laughs> oh, I got it. We make a movie based on a guy who pitches terrible movies. <laughs> it's based on something they're all familiar with. <laughs> these are all creative, more creative than what I hear in meetings every day. So, so we have that. We have these. We have these specs that we're trying to sell. Uh, we have our, our no-budget site trapped in an office building with a monster, which we've always loved. And, we, and yet, you know, 
that one's too expensive. That one in the indie world, everybody always tells us, ooh, you know, can't do it for under ten. And I get that. I mean, it would be hard to do it for under ten. So, so that one has its problems. And uh, but our, our low budget side, I think we 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 have hopes for. It. We just finished it last year, and we we are still in the process of trying to get it out there. Uh, and also, we're even looking into things, you know, like Kickstarter. It's our, our buddies at AI at ADI, they each did a Kickstarter uh, last year. Oh, excellent. Based, based on the fact that people love real effects. Yeah, oh, absolutely. As you, you can tell. Uh, it was fascinating, yeah. They, they, they both went online and did funny ads, you know, funny, funny Kickstarter campaigns. And uh, it was Tom... Tom Woodruff did one, and then and because they worked with all these people, they were able to get uh, Lance Hendrickson to be in one of the movies. Yeah, very nice. And, uh, yeah, they raised enough money to make a couple of low budget movies that are pretty good. Nice, we'll check those yeah, out. Check too. them out. It's, it's, yeah, it's uh, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis of ADI, and uh, blanking on names. One of them is the name of a ship, the Lance Hendrickson one, and the other one. Oh, Tom's is shoot. What's the name? God, old. Well, you can find it, obviously. Yeah. IMDb, Tom Woodruff directed. Blah blah blah. Nobody has to know anything. You just look it up. Exactly. Harbinger Down with Lance Hendrickson. Is that? That's the that's the boat one. That's that's Alex. Yeah. And it's got some oh. nice twists and turns. And you know, it's it's you know it's low budget, of course. Just funny when you hear some of the things they did. Oh, they're great. You know, I remember there's a couple of night scenes outdoor out exterior on the ship and of course they're just on a sound stage yeah. the fan blowing and you can see everybody's breath and I'm going well I know I, I said you, you didn't have the money to make the set cold and I know you didn't have enough CG money to make breath he said oh no everybody's vaping <laughs> <laughs> excellent oh awesome that's perfect perfect low budget idea Excellent. Well, of course, uh, the name of our podcast is Everything I Learned from Movies. So I guess in summation, what, what have you learned from movies? Like, what kind of uh, lessons have you learned, or even in life in general, that you like to share with our listeners? You know, this, will make, this may sound funny, but what I have learned is communication is really difficult, and you have to really keep an open mind and keep your ego out of any communication process. We have experienced this over and over and over on our movies, where something is perfectly clear to us, to me and Brent, and we can't even get Rom to understand it, who we've known for 30 years. And sometimes you don't even know you're miscommunicating. I I think this particular lesson is apropos, particularly in the time we find ourselves, um, politically and in every other way, with this kind of backsliding the nation is doing and negativity surrounding us. Communication is it, it's it's hard, and you have to keep hammering at it. And like I, I have some funny stories. I'm, I'm not going to go into funny stories right now about things like that that happen on movies. But that's I've taken that into my life. You know, when I when I find myself frustrated, you know, even at the DMV or someplace, I'll find myself thinking, "Gee, if I was in a meeting and I was trying to convince a studio executive, how would I approach this person?" Just calmly and clear, and, and you know, and try it different ways. Don't keep saying the same thing. It's obviously not working. Yeah. So that's it for me. Uh, that's I I carry that everywhere I go in my life. This communication is really hard. Clear communication. <laughs> yeah, it was great advice. Yeah, just so sometimes the best way to communicate is just to sit back and listen for a bit too. Just to yeah, 
and listening is important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, listening is absolutely important. I mean, this is really important in movies because they're such a collaborative process, but it absolutely carries over into the rest of life. Yeah, and while you're listening, listen to our podcast, uh, but also check out uh, Mr. Wilson's great movies, uh, Short Circuit, uh, Batteries Not Included, Tremors, Heart and, oh, Heart and Souls. Definitely get out there and watch that one if you haven't already. It's, 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 yes, you can become number 10 and 11 to see Heart and Souls. Absolutely. <laughs> coming, probably not coming to a theater near you, but you can find it. <laughs> and then I think I'm hearing a uh, garage-built claymation low-budget horror film on Kickstarter coming? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in the meantime, again, uh, check out Frady Cats at arealdealproductions.com. Uh, great book. We're actually going to probably check out here as well. Yeah. So, But Mr. Wilson, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you. Ta- yes, again. Thank you so much. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you. Very good questions from both of you. And, and it's, it's fun uh, uh, to, to see these new venues for people discussing movies and, and, and having a little bit of a sense of history. That's another thing I find with executives. Uh, they don't know anything about movie history. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Ray, Ray who's a what's it? Uh, I never heard of him. <laughs> oh, absolutely. oh, God, no. no. I mean, it's horrifying the things you hear in meetings or don't hear in meetings. Mm. But there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, again, thank you, and uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to try to... Share it with, with all of our listeners. And um, I actually have done a little bit of uh, Graboid fan art. Uh, oh, and really? I would love to send you a copy. So if you have a PO box or anything, send it to Steve, and uh, I'll I'll send it off. Because I'm not joking. I am a serious movie monster lover, and uh, Graboids and the Tremors universe is high on my list. <laughs> Fantastic! I will. I will. Yes, I will send it to him. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. I would get a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, let, let let us know what you think of it. <laughs> I, I will, and do let me know when this is up, because me and my parents, at least, will be listening. Excellent. Hey, that's like three more downloads right there. <laughs> oh, so with some of my Graboid fan art, I put some of it on display at a uh, Comic-Con I had an art table at, and we actually got a few, uh, we, we had quite a few people who were like, why is there no Graboid merchandise? Why can't you find it anywhere? Why is nobody willing to have a discussion about this? So people are going to be downloading this. There is actually a pretty ravenous fan base who honestly loved the first four. It's sort of like Star Wars. They just like the old ones. <laughs> I, I know. I agree with you. I've never understood Universal's complete disinterest in, in marketing, marketing the franchise. I have, oh, I can't tell you how many times through Stampede I have gotten, you know, serious inquiries from publishers and say things like, hey, we, we're, you know, we're a comic book publishing firm, we'd like to do a Tremor series, and I say, well, here's the address of Universal, good luck. Nothing ever happens. <laughs> well, perhaps in the future, we shall see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until then, guys, gotta yeah. work on that short circuit reboot. Nope. <laughs> Never gonna get your sign off done on your show here. Oh, we will. We'll fix it off. Don't even worry. Yeah, 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 <laughs> All this yeah, 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 no out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So thank you again so much. We're we're huge fans. Sorry if I was kind of quiet. I'm just sitting here like, oh my god, oh my god, he's really here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and uh, and thank you so much for your interest, and uh, good luck with the podcast. Right, thank, thank you, sir. You so thank much. you so much. And get, uh, definitely okay. contact us too if you start doing a Kickstarter or anything. We'll get all of oh, our yeah. our fans on board. Yeah, yeah definitely. We're good I'll for be all for everybody at that point. <laughs> we'll we'll be good for at least a few dozen ten dollar donations. <laughs> <laughs> Dozens of dollars. 
Dozens of dollars. That's what I need. Dozens of dollars. Okay. All right. You have a wonderful night, sir. Thank you. You too. Bye. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing! Thank you so much, SS Wilson. You're the greatest. Yep, and the uh, the art is in the mail. Uh, yeah. If you would like some of that art, you can definitely check it out at untidyvenus.etsy.com. That is a goddess who's very bad at housework and untidy Venus. Indeed. Uh, of course, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things at EILF Movies. That's everything I learned from movies. Uh, we're on podbean spotify stitcher podcast addict apple Podcasts, itunes all those podcatchers uh google us you'll find us uh tell your friends if you uh if you enjoy these little interviews tell your friends share them with them uh they are probably interested in these people even if they don't know their names offhand (laughs) uh so yeah until next time i'm steve and i'm izzy and this is everything Everything i learned from movies. movies have a good night everybody (laughs) 